I'm a little bit sober-minded today, but I'm still fully fired up on the inside. Uh, you know, you have these moments and these times where you find yourself extremely frustrated by what you're seeing in the world around you. And if our eyes aren't on Christ, and if we don't understand the standard of the kingdom of God, we're going to get ourselves extremely discouraged. The statistics of what's happening with this generation and their belief in absolute truth, what's happening with compromise in what a real man or woman is, what's happening politically, what's happening with the way that the world is going can often be extremely discouraging. But if you don't understand what you're a part of and what the kingdom looks like, you'll find yourself hopeless and you'll even find yourself angry. And you're gonna find yourself want to fight the way, wanting to fight the way that the world fights. But we must fight differently. We fight differently. And I understand it's crazy what's happening out there, but that's the way of the world. But the way of the kingdom is different. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we have to live differently. We have to live differently. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and people are watching and looking at your every move, especially if you're on social media, which most of us, not all of us, but most of us are. And how we represent what we say and the examples that we live, if they don't see the contrast and the difference, then why would they ever come into the kingdom of God? The church is the answer for this nation. It's not the White House or the next president. We've already seen that because we had a president where under his headship of this nation, we had one of the best economies we've ever had. In fact, in the midst of COVID, I set all-time record sales at my coffee shop. We've seen executive orders and laws passed that in so many ways can seem to back up biblical standards and we're all rejoicing and then just years later, the country and the economy's in the toilet. The point is, is our hopes in Christ, our hopes in the kingdom of God more than the kingdom of this world or the next governmental leader and the church is the standard in this nation. This church must be the standard. We're not here to play church. We're not here to go through the motions. We're not here to pretend. We're not here to do our nice church duty. All of us have a lot of other better things to do. If I wasn't here for a purpose and a reason and to worship and to maintain a standard and to teach the standard, I'd rather be at home with my animals and our new baby lambs and fishing or out on the beach. It's a gorgeous day, but we're here by design and for a purpose. The church must become the standard. The kingdom of God is the standard of God on earth. It's what all of us should desire and strive to become like. It's the standard instead of the status quo. The standard defined is the measurement and evaluation of what's normal in quality and attainment. It's the model or it's the bar by which all measurements are compared to. Whereas the status quo is the existing state of affairs, socially, politically, and spiritually. That's why our motto here at Rock City Church is there must be more, there has to be more, there is more. God has so much more to reveal and to show and to demonstrate in his power and his love and his kindness and who he's called us to be as a, a family in the body of Christ on earth. We are the standard, not the status quo. 
which means we must live differently. We must live confidently with authority and humility and love and power. You can be violent, but the violence that we fight with is on our knees in fasting and in prayer and preaching the word and proclaiming the gospel and loving and maintaining the standard. It's not being passive. This isn't passive Christianity. This is aggressive Christianity, but it's different than the way that the world thinks it is. So we are the standard, not the status quo. Let's turn to Titus chapter two, and I'm gonna ruffle some serious feathers today, so prepare yourself, because you might wanna take some notes. Titus chapter two, verse one, and we are specifically addressing Christians, and I'm gonna talk to those of you that maybe you're on the outside that are not sure, maybe you're an atheist, a Satanist, maybe you've been an unbeliever, Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're coming back to the first time. You've heard about Rock City, heard about me and us, and you're coming to check it out or you're watching for the first time. And yeah, I have some things to to share with you in love, but right now I want to speak to Christians because this scripture is speaking to Christians. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Let's talk about sound doctrine and speaking things that are proper for sound doctrine. We must understand what real healthy doctrine is, what truth versus a lie is. There's true doctrine, and then there's false doctrine. Doctrine is the truth of God's word and the set of beliefs that we uphold from it. It's what we believe and teach. It's the truth that we adhere to. There's a difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. Now, the challenge is there are 35,000 denominations in the world today that have different doctrinal beliefs because people have uniquely and individually interpreted doctrine according to how they see it. I have, Rock City Church has a doctrinal statement and a doctrinal set of beliefs that we adhere to. And it's gonna be different than the Baptist or the Methodist or the Lutheran church down the street. But you must formulate your own doctrinal understanding of what you believe, what you believe God's word says, so that you can live to it and adhere to it and follow it and speak it everywhere that you go. Now, there are doctrinal statements across the board that are true no matter what church or denomination that you go to. And there are a lot of lies out there. Simple examples of false doctrinal statements would be that Jesus is you don't need Jesus. Whatever works for you works for you. Jesus is one of many gods. Not, you know, uh, all roads lead to truth. The theory of, rel- of relativity, whatever works for you works for you. I, who am I to tell you? A false doctrine would be that there's no hell. There's no consequence. A false doctrine would be that uh, God doesn't interact in the daily. If that's deism, that God spun the world like a top and whatever happens, happens and God doesn't actually get involved in your everyday, the affairs of your everyday life. Deceptive lie. There are um, premarital sex. It's okay to have premarital sex. We need to test drive the car before we buy it. There, There are a lot of, those are doctrinal, false doctrinal statements that are not according to God's word and God's heart. So recently Barna put out a research study where only, I don't know, 20, 30% of millennials and Christians today believe that Jesus was sinless. 
And it's funny because I see people, you know, writing up entire statements on this. And I'm like, I have an easy statement for you. Read your Bible. (laughs) Right. The problem is, is that in a postmodern world, the Bible, if all you have to go by is, in a sense, the word, you're a dinosaur Christian. People need, we live in a world where encounters and experiences are critical. People must encounter and experience the truth and the power of his spirit, but it doesn't negate the power of his word. But it's not just preaching the word. You don't get people saved just solely by preaching the word at them and throwing scriptures at them. People must have encounters and experience. Being born again is an encounter. It's the most, it's, it's the most profound thing to actually have the presence of the living God come into your heart and into your life and dwell, the creator of the universe to dwell inside of you. Now I can explain it to you and I can show it to you in the word, but until you have the encounter, you won't understand. In Christianity, you take a step of faith first before you understand. People say, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get it. Until you take the step or the leap of faith into the kingdom of God, you won't because your mind's not renewed. You don't have the spirit to show you the truth. He guides you and draws you, but you must jump in and say, Lord, I'm coming even when I don't understand. So you don't understand first, and then God brings you understanding. So we live in a postmodern world where everything's relative to their experience, or sadly, what the world is screaming, the news, the media, social media, and in turn, then all the waters get muddy, and then we say, well, love is love. Who am I to say? if a woman loves a woman or a man loves a man. The problem is it's a different kind of love. It's not true agape love because true agape love would never ever allow themselves to take, steal, or rob from something outside of God's design. And it doesn't mean that I don't love you. And I've said that many times. Transgenders and gay couples can come here, but they can't come and stay the same. And if they're coming to stay the same, then I'm not preaching an accurate gospel. Would you agree? But where are they going to go if they can't come into the kingdom of God and find a contrast and a family? But we can't let the world dictate what's truth to our children and to our families. The word of God dictates what's truth. This is why you have to have a sound doctrinal understanding so you can speak it. This is why you must understand God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15. You get sound doctrine in your life by reading, meditating, and cross-referencing scripture. You can't take one scripture out of context. People are taking scripture from Leviticus out of context nonstop. Don't trim your beard, don't wear an earring, don't get a tattoo, don't eat certain foods. But the thing is, is that God's word backs itself up across all the books, the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why you have to be able to put it together like a crossword puzzle. How many of you like puzzles? Well, I can't stand puzzles, just so that you... Ask my wife. I cannot... I don't know what it is about my brain. It goes on overload, and I just throw it all to the side, right? I can get just the edges of the puzzle, and then I'm done. But see, we live in a culture where people are more diligent for social media and what the, what's happening with politics and the economy and social media and celebrities than the word of God. More of you know more about your career and your work than you do God's word. And I made it, a, I made it my 
number one goal and desire to be diligent to present myself approved to God. What does that mean? What does it mean? Does it mean the more that I measure up and the more that you study God's word, the more that you become a religious person and now God says, oh, now you finally arrived? That's not what that means. What it means is I can present myself approved to God because I know who I am and what he says about me. See, when you know who you are and what God says about you coming from God's word and God's truth in his heart, then when I present myself, I have no shame. Even if you sin and compromise, there's no shame. Stop. It doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that there's not consequences and it doesn't mean that there won't be punishment for it. But that was your choice, not God's choice. Right? So I don't ever want my little kids walking in shame. I want my kids to always know that, they're, that they can present themselves approved to me because they're my son and my daughter. Do you see that? The religious lie is the more you study, the better you become, the more words you know, the more religious you are. And the more you stop sinning, you're gonna be a really high and mighty great Christian. And now God's gonna accept you and you're in good standing until you fall tomorrow. And then God's mad at you and he doesn't love you and you're in the toilet. And you're an emotional roller coaster, up, down, up, down, up, down. God loves me, he loves me not. Am I right? This is why you must be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You could almost read this backwards. When I rightly divide the word of truth, I know how God feels about me. I've studied, I understand it. I can present myself to him at all times, whether I'm up, down, fail, or walking in the valleys of conquering all sin, whatever it is. God wants you to be stable, not unstable. And God's word brings stability to your life and it cuts out shame in your life. All of us have to pay this price. I have been reading my Bible for over 30 years. If I stop reading it today or I get out of it, I forget things I've studied my entire Christian life. And you bring up a story that you learned in Sunday school, Bible school, Noah, Jacob, Israel, Isaac, Esau, Samson, Samuel. And if you don't stay in the word, you're going to forget what you learned in the beginning. You must be diligent. Everybody say, I must be diligent. So we start off by understanding the importance of sound doctrine. Without sound doctrine, you have nothing to properly speak. Again, we talk out of both sides of our mouth or we talk out of our rear ends. Which is it going to be? Am I right? Can I shoot you straight today? Listen, without sound doctrine, how can you give accurate guidance? How can you give answers? How can you be discerning? How can you know the Father's heart? How can you have any wisdom in your life about what to do? You can also gain sound doctrinal understanding through other people's teachings, through commentaries, books, and guidance. I'm not against those things. I've learned a lot from other teachers. I've learned a lot from books. I learn a lot from podcasts. But there's nothing like studying the word of God for yourself. And we live in a day and age where you have more tools than I ever had when I was young. 
I mean, you can go to read the, the Read Scripture app and watch entire awesome animated video presentations that explain books of the Bible in a way that's like, man, if you can't get it like a child, you can go buy an action Bible and read the comic book Bible, which we, we get more out of that Bible many times than out of our normal Bible. But you must be diligent and study. Make it your priority. You must be equipped in these last days or deception, which is coming on another level, is going to rule in your life or in your kids. You have no authority, no power, no vernacular, no verbiage, no understanding, and the world's going to teach you what to say or someone else's podcast is going to teach you or someone else's book. Let me give you a great definition of maturity. Maturity is not determined simply by age or even by how much a person knows. It is determined by how skilled a person is in applying the truth to life and in distinguishing good from evil. Let me say it again. Maturity is not determined just by your age or by how much you know. It's determined by how you take what you know or how skilled you become in applying the truth of what you know to life and to be able to discern or distinguish between good and evil. This is what I must teach my kids. Learn to distinguish and discern. Learn to discern. Let's everybody say that. Learn to discern. And then be obedient when you discern evil. Become skilled and wise in the knowledge of God's truth and God's word so that you can apply it to every situation. So when you want to get angry or hot-headed or yell and scream or combust or jump in the flesh or check out or numb out, you have the wisdom of God's word and his truth and his spirit to guide you and direct you out of it. You're mature to say, nope, uh, no way, Jose, am I going that way. We all have a responsibility to grow ourselves and others in maturity. Now, I'm going to read these next verses, and then we're going to break them down. We're going to read verses 2 through 8, and we're going to come back to them, and we're going to break them down. Verse 2. So we're talking about speaking sound doctrine. Notice there's a colon. Here is the answers of the things we should be speaking and doing and living in action. Older men, be sober. By the way, whenever you see older men, older women, typically it's referring to those 50 and over. So 50 plus, older men, sober. <laughs> Reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. Older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. You guys ready to break these down? Six commands to older men. Six commands. Sobriety. Let me tell you something about sobriety. I'm not an abolitionist with alcohol, but some people need to be an abolitionist. 
You have addictive personalities. You're unhealthy. Here's the problem. You weren't sober before you became drunk or high. You already aren't sober because sobriety is, is not just being intoxicated or not intoxicated. To be sober means to, let me give you a great different definition of sobriety. It means to live circumspectly. Ephesians 5.15. All of us should be walking and living circumspectly, not as fools, but as unwise. So here's the thing. This word for circumspectly in the Greek is the word akribos, and it's where you get the word acrobat. It means to be exact, accurate, and diligent, like an acrobat who performs spectacular gymnastic feats perfectly without fail. Did you see recently that the high-wire gymnast girl died? She fell. They didn't have a net. Four or five stories high fell to her death. You must be exact when you're walking circumspectly. It's walking a tightrope. One misstep and you're dead. We live, we must live circumspectly in our lives to this day. That means to live sober-minded. So people aren't sober. This is the thing. This is why I tell you, if you're single, you probably shouldn't be drinking. Because you start drinking, you get uninhibited. One glass, two glass. I've seen the most pure, upright of men, young men and women, they have a couple glasses of wine or a margarita or two. Next thing you know, they're off on the deep end, a little peek, a little sneak. All it takes is one little glimpse of porn to corrupt the innocence of a child or a young adult. And I understand some of you may think, look, I'm gonna hit some things hard today. At the end, I want you to be spirit-led. It's a sobriety issue, not an alcohol issue. But alcohol becomes the issue when you're not sober-minded in advance. If you're already spun out and crazy in the head, problems I just, man, is things are so hard for me. Add some alcohol to your hardness. I'm just telling you. And you need to understand, I'm not that weird religious pastor. I think you can have a drink and not be sin unless you are an alcoholic and you're crazy in the head and it leads you to a full bottle. Next thing you know, you're a mean, man, I just want to let you have, some of y'all have it right now. I'm not kidding. We must be the beacon of truth in this house. The kingdom of God must be the standard of truth. Why are we compromising in the things that we... And I haven't even got started. We haven't even got started this morning. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you. <clears throat> I get to pick up the pieces. And here's the thing. This, we will pick up the pieces, just so that you know. We'll be the net. If you fall, we'll catch you. But I would sure like it if you didn't fall. And if you do, we'll be there because there's mercy. But for the love of God, set the standard of the kingdom of how we're to live as Christians. To be sober is not haphazard. It's not reckless. It's not mentally unstable. It's restrained by God and uninhibited by the spirit. See, alcohol, people like alcohol because you become uninhibited. But there's a better intoxication. Ephesians 5, 18, three verses later, says don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Because being filled with the spirit should be intoxicating. But we'd rather have the wine than the spirit. 
We don't give ourselves over fully to a better drink, to a better new wine. And I get it, a glass of wine or two for some of us might be nice, but nothing compares to being rocked by the, I'm weeping, I'm up here weeping, worshiping, dancing, looking like a fool, and I haven't had one drink this morning. Thank God. We're talking to older men. Now, one of the things I want to tell you is this one thing crosses all the spectrums of the life stages. You're going to notice a pattern, sober-minded, sober, so, sobriety, because if you're not sober in the head it, now, right now, then you add anything of this world, any sin, any lies, any deception to crazy in the head, and you'll spin out even more. The next thing for older men, and we're going to go through these quickly, is reverence. What does it mean to be reverent? To me, reverence is humility. To me, reverence is this understanding that I'm submitted. Reverence is this mindset that I'm kind and respectful at all times. I'm esteeming others better than myself. Myself. I'm not prideful. I'm not a narcissist. I'm not arrogant. I'm not trying to crush you. I'm not trying to dominate you. I'm not raising myself above you as the mighty man of God. I'm the man of God. You should be submit. Where's my bodyguards at? Adam, Mark, y'all, Jordan, I need y'all to surround me in case somebody gets too close to me. It's idiotic. Where's the reverence in our hearts? towards we're reverent to God. Reverence is the fear of God. Reverence is humility. Reverence is, man, I'll take the low road, but you don't even understand. Reverence is not weakness and it's not being passive. There's no passivity in the kingdom of God, but it's being submissive. Submission is not being passive. Next, we have temperance. Too much of anything is too much of anything. I'm tempered. I'm restrained. I'm a, I live in restraint. I must teach my children to live in restraint. If they had their way, it'd be entertainment 24-7. All they can think about is fun, 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 fun. And in turn, when it comes to doing anything work, let alone remotely hard. Thank God I had a dad. Thank God I had a dad. That was like, I don't care. <laughs> You're going to get it. This morning, I said to our little girl, go feed the cats. Ugh. I said, go feed the cats. She looked right at me. She goes, no. That's not cadence. No, that's right. You don't want to know what went down next. <laughs> Let's just say she's still alive. She's still alive. <laughs> next is sound in faith. You have to understand the difference between faith and trust. Faith is trusting no matter what is in front of you. Faith is, is I know God's going to do what he said he would do, even if I don't see it. Trust is based on fact. I can trust God because he's always been there. He hasn't always been there when I thought he should be there or the way I thought he should be there or when I thought he should be there. 
You get that? But you have faith no matter what, and God's always provided. He's always been there. I've been in the brink of death and the brink of failure and the brink of foreclosure, the brink of bankruptcy, and God pulled you out every single time. Every time. And even if he didn't and you fell and you fall, guess what? You get back up again and you keep moving. How many successful people today have been through bankruptcy and failure and only made you stronger because they didn't give up? That's faith. So sound, this word sound is three times sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. Three things, faith, love, and patience. It means that I'm gonna stay the course no matter what. Yes, do I wanna quit? Sure. Do I feel like quitting? Sure. Will I quit? No. Don't be a quitter. Be patient. Trust God. It's in his way and his time, not yours. He's a good God. Let's say that he's a good God. So you must be healthy. Sound is healthy. Sound is solid. Instead of crazy. Sound, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Now we're going to jump to older women. Five things to older women. Let me just explain something to you in these five things. You give an older woman a bottle of wine. Especially if she's on the war path. It's over. The five things older women are reverent in behavior, no slander or gossip, not given to much wine, a teacher of good things, and admonishing younger women. Five instructions to every woman 50 and up. You should be reverent in your behavior. Just like the older man, and this is across the spectrum, but it's very specific here reverent in your behavior because the older men and women must be the examples to the younger men and women coming up behind us. And if we don't set healthy examples for them, who are they going to follow? It's very clear. If we do not set examples as spiritual parents and moms and dads, older men and women, elders in the kingdom, who will the younger ones look up to to follow? Reverent in your behavior. Act right. No, and gossip. I mean, do I need to go down that road? But is this a problem? Yes. Just don't let it be a problem with you. You get a, you get a bunch of older women that are angry and unhappy to have nothing. They don't have things to do in their life and they're not admonishing younger women and they start drinking and having some wine or hanging out. Next thing you know, did you hear what she said? Did you hear what she, did you see what they did? Did you know what they did? Did you hear about the church? Did you hear about those women leaders of the church? Did you hear about those people? Did you hear about that marriage? Did you hear about that thing that happened? Did you hear about that couple that hooked up? Man, they should never be together. I can't believe that they hooked up. Now, I could really go down this road. Why would anybody ever even gossip in their heart? And then you throw some wine in the mix. So again, I'm gonna go back to the reverent behavior and the sobriety in action and in your head. So not giving to much wine, teacher of good things. See, 
when you're unhappy and you're gossiping and you're drinking too much and you don't have a, a, a healthy understanding of reverence before the Lord and for other people, then you don't fulfill the mission and the purpose of God in your life because you're upset all the time. And I'm gonna tell you all right now, we're gonna give you plenty of things to be upset about in this church. See, because if we would all adhere to the word of God and the headship of Christ with reverence in our life and we'd follow these things, it would make all of our life a lot easier. And it wouldn't have to be so messy because it's easy to point out someone else's mess, isn't it? And there's plenty of mess around. But this is God's church, not David Bendet's church. This isn't even your church. He's the Lord of this church. The onus is upon us individually. And then next, not only should women be teachers, they should also be admonishing. Now, this word admonishing is to give encouragement through advice. Give encouragement through advice. Admonishing younger women. So moms, ladies, women, 50 and over, make it your ambition through our house fire home groups. We're gonna add more groups, get involved in a group. It's in these homes you're gonna find so much of this life. This is a monologue, not a dialogue. But all of these discussions and the word of God will be dialogued in the house fire home groups. You must have people to dialogue with. You have to have somebody. Every woman 50 and over has a call of God to teach and admonish. Now we're gonna go to young women. Seven things for young women, love your husbands. This is not romantic love, but rather a voluntary commitment to their husband's welfare. It's a voluntary commitment to your husband's welfare. Now there's a whole onus on men and what men should be doing. And I'll briefly touch on that, but we're gonna talk about women for just a moment. Christ is the head of the church. And just as Christ is the head of the church, so are husbands the head of their wives. It's Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. If you don't understand this scripture and in the context of the kingdom of God and the father's heart, then we're gonna have unruly wives now, listen, men have a whole eight things. Women have like one or two. Men have eight responsibilities to be the, the head of their house, to be the spiritual leader. But, a, but the, a woman is a suitable and comparable face-to-face helper, not side companion, not sidecar sidekick, not make me look good and make me better, right? She, her... She has a responsibility to be face-to-face with me in life and in decision-making and in guidance and direction and leadership, but to also honor the fact that God put me as the head over her life. And I must step into that headship spiritually if I'm going to earn that right. I think spiritual headship is an earned right. You want to beat your wife and then tell your wife to be submitted to you because you're the spiritual head of the home? Doesn't work like that. You're going to treat her like a doormat and like garbage? Doesn't work like that. If you want to actually have a wife that's submitted ahead, then pony up and be the spiritual leader of your home. And if you married the right woman, it's going to be tough. Because opposites attract or opposites attack. And trust me, we have some attacking moments. (laughs) 
Next is love their children. Now I'm gonna move past that one. There's a lot to say about loving your children, but I, cause I really wanna hit these next two. Let's talk about discreet. That was a lot of sighs I heard from some women right there. <laughs> Let me just say something. When I go to the gym and I see the girls in their little bitty sports bras, I don't expect them to live like the king. I don't even know that they know the Lord. And the truth is, is the Holy Spirit was truly leading and God and convinced. I don't think they'd let their Bathshebas be hanging out the way that they are. It's like, cover up your boobs, girl. I'm just saying, like, seriously, I'm not mad or angry at them. But if you're a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, you must be discreet. Listen, if you're hot, you're hot. And if you're not, you're not. And you know what's hot is when you don't have to flaunt it or show it. In fact, I think it's hotter when you don't. To be discreet means I'm silent about something in a delicate nature because you don't have to show it because you know it. Let's just say that. I don't have to show it because I know it. Let me just tell you something about my wife. My, I am, I don't care how attractive another woman is. I am, she is it for me. The last thing I want my wife to do is to let it all hang out and to try to flaunt it or show it in public because number one, she doesn't need to. That's a big part of my point. Do I want her to look attractive and look nice? Yes, but there's modesty to my wife, right? right? So the next thing for, these, for younger women is to be chaste. So discreet and chaste go hand in hand. So chaste is, in a sense, it's health, it's not being sexually suggestive or sexually promiscuous, right? So the thing is, is that it's like, well, do I want her to put some makeup on and jewelry and look nice and all this stuff? Absolutely. I'm not anti any of that. I'm not Pentecostal holiness, right? Do I want her to look attractive? Of course that I do. But I also don't ever want my wife to have to feel like she needs to flaunt it or show it and she should never have to do that, nor should you. Discreet and chaste is a kingdom standard. Not an old school, outdated, neither is homemaking, which we're about to talk about. Because we don't have moms anymore being homemakers the way that they should, because we've had a national organization of women and women's lib and women's rights pulling women out of the home and demasculating men. There's a whole nother mess. Maybe I'll teach that on Mother's Day. You dare me? That's, do you double dog dare me? <laughs> so discreet and chaste. Come on, ladies. Do, do, do I want you to look nice? Yes, but I don't need you to look sexually suggestive. My wife's not wearing low cut tops and five inches of cleavage and a mini skirt. She did at one time. <laughs> and... Back then, I really liked it. (laughs) 
I think it's, you know, it just, <laughs> it's, listen, it drives me nuts. I see some, I don't know if it's any of y'all, but it's some of y'all come in this house. I'm at, check into Rock City. I'm at Rock City. Oh, worship God is so good. And then the next picture and post I'm seeing, tight mini skirts, tight dresses, girls hanging out. I'm like, what? Hanging out at the bar. Here I am, shot, shot, picture, selfie, Rock City. It's like, this isn't the hookup church, y'all. So man, what's up with that church? And then all the world wants to come to this church. I mean, in some ways, it's whatever it takes, but I'm like. (laughs) Homemakers. Let me just say this. My wife. Do you know... Just seriously, if my wife was not the homemaker in this marriage, it would be disastrous. It would. That's why I want my wife. It's like, I grew up in a world of color. I grew up in South Miami. I'm tropical. I like the Caribbean. I like Brazil. I like hot. I like fire. I like yellows, blues, reds. I like all the colors of the world. My first house when we got married on Waverly was yellow walls, blue wall. Even this sanctuary used to have yellow walls and a blue sound boot, just so that you know. Now look at around. Here's my wife. The only thing I got was these blue columns over here that my wife still doesn't like. So our farmhouse is all white and hang on white shiplap 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 hang on it was like that it was like that I'm making her manifest now it's like all muted colors neutral colors I'm like where's the fire where's some color right so I had to put it all in my office over here it's like all colorful that's my little man cave world so my wife decides she's going to paint the dining room black. She says to me yesterday, you see, we got some color. I said, black? Is black or white? Black or white? But you know what? Nothing makes me happier than when I see her happy. And we need moms that make homes. Look, I'm not saying that women shouldn't work, and I'm not saying that there's not times where women have to work, and I'm not against women working. The challenge is is that we need moms to be moms, and we need moms to be the homemakers because there's something that a mom brings to a home that a man will never bring. Do you understand that? If it was up to me, our home would be a wreck. But now that I have an amazing wife who is a homemaker, and this is what you older women must be teaching. The context here is older women teach the younger women how to be chaste, how to be discreet, how to be homemakers, how to love and honor their husbands. This is not a worldly cultural concept anymore, but it's a kingdom culture that stands the test of time. Can I get an amen? 
all just gonna jump to obedient to their own husbands. Not, women are not under the authority of men in general, but of their husbands, just as Christ is the head of the church. Did we ever look at that? Ephesians 5, through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Listen, women, if you don't have a healthy submission to Christ first, you'll never have a healthy submission to your husbands. To the degree that you're submitted to the Lord is to the degree that you'll be submitted to your husband, Right? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the head and he is the savior of the body in verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let also wives be to their own husbands in everything. But this doesn't preclude men from being the men. There's eight things that are required of a man to be a spiritual leader in their home. I'll teach you that another time. You can read this later. Go back and read Ephesians 5. There's eight requirements for a man to be a spiritual leader of their home, all right? The first one is death. And it's a death. Let me just tell you, it's a death. The Greek word translated obedient is a military term. It's a military term which indicates voluntary submission to the one in authority. You don't do it because you have to, you choose to. If my wife does it because she has to, that's not real love and that's not the way that God designed it to be. Look up the word obedient. It's a military term of voluntary submission, which puts greater onus on me to be the leader so that she doesn't feel like she has to wear the pants in the family. You got dominant women and passive men that are weak. And then when the man's not being the spiritual leader, the woman will override and dominate the man. Because she, or you have vice versa, macho men and passive women or diva women and wussy men. All of us, all of our actions should glorify God, build his kingdom and strengthen the family. Let me say that again. All of our actions should glorify God, build his kingdom and strengthen the family. Failure to do this maligns the word of God uh, in a world full of ungodliness, broken families and pagan practices. All of this instruction is this understanding that God has called us to be sober-minded in thought, truth and action to be a pattern of good works by example to the world around us, to walk in doctrinal integrity. Our life must line up with our beliefs. We must stop laying claim to being something and then our actions and our life don't set the example of it. All of us must be reverent, humble, and submissive, not passive. All of us must have incorruptibility. You're either one of two things. You're either corrupt or incorrupt. There's no neutral demilitarized zone. You're either corrupt or incorrupt. Sound speech that can't be condemned. Notice that it says, so that shame comes to those that oppose you. It's like when I live above reproach and I speak well and speak truth, ultimately it's the other person that finds themselves walking in shame because God comes and heaps burning coals on their head and then nothing evil to say about you. Wouldn't it be nice for nobody to have any? Now, people are gonna try to slander you. They're gonna try to say evil about you. They're gonna hate you. They're gonna persecute you. They're gonna say all kinds of things about you because you're a Christian. Who cares? You're solid in sound doctrine. You understand the word. And I'm a workman that has no shame. 
persecute me, lie about me, slander me, whatever it is that you want to do. I need to love you better and not give you a reason to do it. And then I'm just going to close with this. Verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. God's grace and salvation teaches us to deny ourselves. To deny what? Worldly lust. Listen, in one second, I can look at and I can instantly click on an image or see something that will bring corruptibility and lawless deeds into my own heart, right? All of you can get, some of y'all really do need to get a dumb phone. I'm, I'm really, I'm lovingly saying to you, all right? If you, it's like, oh, I have safeguards. Trust me, when you want something, you'll get around the safeguards. We all know it. So, oh, I deleted the apps. As soon as you deleted it, you can add it back, delete, add back, add, hide your search history, whatever it is. We can all be con artists and hide. You can't hide from the Lord though. And what I'm saying to you is God's blood, this is the essence of the gospel. The cross and the blood redeems you from law. You've been redeemed from lawless deeds. Don't go back to them anymore. And whatever it takes, everybody say whatever it takes. Are we looking for God to appear? We must be looking. He said, where's God at? Well, he's all around if you're looking. Christ gave himself to redeem and redeem his purchase. He bought you. Say, he bought me. He bought me with a price. He bought me with his blood. He bought me with the cross. He bought me with his life. This is the gospel. So once you get redeemed, you don't have to live contrary to all the things that I just taught you. You don't want to let them hang out anymore. You don't want to be women's lib like the world. You don't want to dominate your husband. You want to be chaste and discreet. Look attractive, look cute, look nice, but you're not trying to win some guy over. You're winning over the heart of the Lord. And what if you were a remnant that wasn't like the rest of the world and you lived differently and God supernaturally brought your husband and wife in a way that you least expected it? That's Ashley and Alex's story. She comes for a, from a conference, been at IHOP, been in prayer, submitted her life. Alex is serving here as our usher team leader, living for Christ. Both of them are healthy and strong. They show up to worship the Lord and bam, like napalm bomb is what their marriage was like. Are you zealous for good works? To be zeal is to burn. Who's zealous for good works? Let's say this together. Say, Lord, make me zealous for good works. I'm going to leave you with these questions. Are you living the kingdom standard or the worldly status quo? Do you need to be redeemed and purified from lawless deeds? If you say just... If you say yes, then you're going to respond to this altar call today. Are you living sober-minded? 
I'm just going to challenge you. I've been doing it for a long time. You, you're going to have to be extremely careful about how much media and news and things you see in the world because a lot of it's corrupting your heart and it's tainting your mind. Do you, are you zealous? Are you on fire? Are you flamed on? Are you more zealous for your work and money and career? And do you have examples in your life to follow or are you being an example? If you're not being an example, let's change that. If you don't have an example, let's build a culture and a house that does, that stands the test of time. Wouldn't it be awesome if I never cheated on my wife, stole money, corrupted, spun out, got hooked on porn, lied, cheated, stealed, or quit, and I stood the test of time all the days of my life, and when my children come up and your children come up, they take over and we build a house that lasts the generations for the kingdom of God as long as God oversees it, and the presence comes, the cloud comes, deliverance, healing, signs, wonders, miracles, shikarabasandara, praying in tongues, busting them out, laying hands on the sick, and they see what normal looks like. Well, the onus is on y'all. Yes, it's on me too, but we're gonna do it. Let's all stand. Now, because of time, we're just going to pray over this whole sanctuary. It's going to be one big altar call. God can touch you right where you're at. When When we move to the new sanctuary, we're going to have more time. All right. I'd love to do a big altar call, but we have a lobby full of people and another service. So what I need you to do is trust that God can touch you right where you're at. I guarantee you, I said something for everyone today. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. Okay. So just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, make us the kingdom standard. Let's just lift our hands up to the Lord as an act of surrender today. Lord, make us the kingdom standard. Let's say that. Make me the kingdom standard. Forgive me for any area that I have fallen short in how I've lived, how I've loved, in the actions of my life, how I've dressed, how I've honored in every area of my life. I want to represent you, Lord. I want to be an accurate representation. Mature me. Grow me. I ask for examples and that I would be an example. Redeem me, Lord, from my lawless deeds. I'm sorry for living lawless, impure, Purify me with your blood. I'm running to you. I'm coming home to you. I love you. I need you. I need your house. I need your family. I need my friends. I need parents. Thank you for your mercy. Sink your word deep in my heart and let it grow. I want to be diligent to show myself approved as a son or daughter to you. And now, Lord, I just pray over this church 
please God. Please, Lord, raise up an army in this nation greater than the president, the White House, governmental leaders, Lord. Let the kingdom of God be the standard in your church today. Raise up those who will speak, teach, rebuke with all authority. Make us one, Lord, as a mighty army in the body all over this city and nation, God. Shift this nation, Lord, through the body of Christ. God, as we go headlong into the elections next year, as our nation is spinning out of control, Lord, I thank you that you've raised up another nation. He's raising up another nation, beloved. He's raising up another nation. We will not be silent. We will not be silent. We will not be silent. Say it, I will not be silent. So Lord, I thank you that you grant us boldness by your spirit to love well, act well, and to represent you well. And I bless this church and everyone coming and everyone going. From this day forward, Lord, let the cloud of your presence in an open heaven and encounters rock our world night and day with sound doctrine to back it up. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all so much.